Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me. We're going to be looking back into our Matthew study today, Yeshua, Son of David, exploring Matthew's Gospel, and we will be in Lesson 40 today. We will be looking at Jesus today as the barrier breaker. And we're going to explain what I'm, what I'm meaning by that here as we go through this lesson. In Matthew's recording of his next event during Jesus' ministry, he will show us how Jesus moves even beyond Israel, but never forgets his people, Israel, and his calling to Israel. Today we see Jesus in our Lebanese territory, in a foreign but ancient land. Here he encounters one woman from that land and hears her plea for his help. And we find glimpses of the ultimate fulfillment of what we're discussing today as he is the barrier breaker. So we're going to see a beautiful glimpse of that in this encounter. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 31 today. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on you, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. We're going to talk about this passage today. In this context, at the first of this event at the first of these recordings in these verses, Jesus travels to the region of Tyre and Sidon. From the Old Testament, we get knowledge of Tyre and Sidon. It was an area that we might call modern-day Lebanon, perhaps including a little bit of Syria up near the coast. It was that area of geography, of, of land mass. King David and King Solomon's day, they dealt with a king called Hiram from Tyre. He was very kind and helpful to David and to Solomon in their years, especially with building the temple of God, supplying cedars and wood and masons and woodcrafters and so forth from Lebanon. We also see Tyre and Sidon mentioned and prominent in Ezra's day in the rebuilding of the temple, which was the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple that Herod later came and embellished. Also, this area... Tyre and Sidon was prominent in the life of Elijah, especially with a widow from Zarephath, which was within this territory. 
I want us to look at that a little bit in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want to read beginning in verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room, where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So in this case, we see this widow of Zarephath, which was from the territory of Sidon. She lived in Sidon area. So I see in this chapter in 1 Kings 17, A few interesting correlations between this and the encounter that Jesus has with this woman in the Tyre and Sidon area. Both encounters included this man of God that comes to this area. 
In Elijah's day, it was Elijah. In Jesus' day, it was Jesus. Both interact with one specific person, a woman who is a mother of a child. Both see a mother's need regarding the child and end up being God's tool and instrument to meet that need. They meet the need of the mother and the child. They both are in a Gentile land, and this applies to a Gentile people that the man of God or the Lord Jesus is interacting with. Yet the Gentile in both cases shares their faith in the God of Israel. In Elijah's case, the woman came and said, Now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And then in the encounter with Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, she declared him as the Lord, God of Israel, the Lord God. She declared him to be the master. So these both show us that in regard to Jesus Christ and the things of God, there is no exclusion of the Gentiles. There's no exclusion of the Gentiles, but rather there is a timing factor. And that became important with the time that Jesus came upon the earth. So what Jesus is teaching through this, he is clarifying his ministry. His ministry, particularly when he came and walked among the earth, was primarily to the house of Israel, was primarily to the Jews first, not the Jews only. His ministry, he came to meet the needs and primarily during his lifetime on this earth, pursue the Jews first, not the Jews only. If he pursued the Jews only, this would violate the Abrahamic covenant. Because in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, states that God is making a specific covenant with this man, an everlasting covenant, to bless those that bless him and to curse those that curse him, and that in his seed, in the seed of Abraham, meaning the coming Messiah, Jesus the Christ, in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is not about the Jews only, but it is about Jesus' ministry to the Jews first. I want to give us a little bit more clarity from another encounter that Jesus has, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 12. This is referring to other Gentiles, just like the people from Tyre and Sidon were of a Gentile origin, foreign land. So are these. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, we read these words. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So here we see another encounter where Gentiles, people from a foreign country, from a foreign land, are coming and seeking to see Jesus, to learn from him, to encounter him. And Jesus is clarifying here again his ministry, that it's not the Jews only, but it is the Jews first. He's not going to be the one directly to minister to these people, but Jesus here is teaching us that through his death on the cross, he will draw all people, both Jew and Gentile, to himself, and they can be saved, all of them, Jews and Gentiles. But it's through that grain of wheat, his death, his burial, his body going into the ground, his death and the blood that he has shed that will draw all people to himself and he is able to give them salvation. There will be a mighty harvest and a mighty eternal fruit from his death once his body goes into the ground and he has paid the price for our redemption. There will be eternal fruit from that, and it will abound to many, both Jew and Gentile. Salvation will be available to all who will believe, whether they are Jews or whether they are Gentiles. His gospel message is not exclusive, but in his case, when he came, it was a matter of priority and timing. Jesus came to the Jews first, not to the Jews only, but to the Jews first. However, Through his death, burial, and resurrection, later he would send apostles to the Gentiles. We see that coming to pass with Paul. Beginning in Acts chapter 7, verse 58 through 60, we find out the first reference to Paul and what he was like. Then again, we read more in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, we see how God encountered Paul and how God called and commissioned Paul. And even later, we learn how Paul himself testifies that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. We see how Peter was called and commissioned in Acts chapter 10 when he saw the vision of the blanket coming down and it had these unclean animals and things on it. And so through that, Peter learns that the Gentiles also are to be afforded the salvation message. The gospel will go to them as well and as equally as to the Jews. So we see these evidences, Paul even in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, where Paul even accepts this as well, that he is an apostle to reach primarily the Gentiles. Oh yes, Paul testified to the Jews. Matter of fact, he debated with the Jews on an ongoing basis. He tried to persuade many Jews But when the Jews would reject him and reject him and reject him, try to stone him, try to kill him, beat him, etc., 
God finally sent him out to the Gentiles. So even Jesus' commission before he left the earth even proves that it is not to the Jews only, but it is to the Jews first. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we read him saying that all authority is given to him and that he is commissioning his disciples to go out into all the world, all the nations, preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations, and teach them to observe his commandments. All the world is to be reached. And then in Acts chapter 1, I want to read verse 6 through 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus confirms this here in his great commission right before he ascends back to heaven. The apostles confirmed this also in their teachings. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, for instance, Peter understands that God's desire is that all will be saved from all the nations. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter tells us that the name of Jesus is the only name available for any person anywhere to be saved. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it talks about how God is commanding everyone everywhere now to repent and believe on him. The whole job and desire and work of the Father is for all to believe. Even in John 3.16, probably the most well-known and well-beloved verse in all of the Bible, it says God so loved the world, meaning everybody. And it's talking about the inhabitants of the world. God loved all the world, and he made salvation available to any and all from any place who will believe. He will give them eternal life. But during Jesus' ministry on this earth, he came to the house of Israel. He came primarily to the Jews first. And even Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, recognizes that salvation is of the Jews and is to the Jew first. He talks about how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and it is the power of salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. The scripture is entirely inclusive of Gentiles in the entirety of the plan of redemption, but it is a step-by-step -step process. It began with the Jewish people because they were called and commissioned by God all the way back to Moses' day in the Torah and in Abraham's day to be the people of God from ancient times forward. They had been given more, therefore God expected more. So he sent his son. Remember Jesus talked about the parable of the vine dresser and the vineyard and how the husbandman of the vineyard would send even his own son, thinking, okay, well, they'll respect my son. Of course, God knew they wouldn't. But in that parable, the father had sent the son, thinking that they would respect the son. And he's the one that they said, oh, he's the heir. Let's kill him. Get rid of him so that this whole thing will belong to us instead. And so they tried to kill Jesus. They had been given more. So God expected more. They were the one nation chosen by God to be a light 
to the Gentiles a city set on a hill, fulfilling prophecies of old, such as Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 through 9. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 right now, and I want to read verses 11 through 16. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is simply saying here, when you were Gentiles before you came to know Jesus Christ and were brought into the kingdom, brought into the family of God, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the covenant. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenant of promise. You didn't have any hope. You were without God in the world. Why is that true? Because the only covenant promises had been given to Jewish people at that time. But notice this. Paul continues writing. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So Paul is teaching us here that yes, the Gentiles were at one time estranged from God. They had no hope. They had no covenant promises. They had none of that. But through Jesus Christ now, both Jews and Gentiles are joined together as one in Messiah, in Jesus Christ. Jesus had to complete that work. He had to pay the ransom. He had to be the Passover sacrifice. He had to be the substitute to pay all the sin debt of all the world, Jew and Gentile, allowing God then to be able to justify Jew or Gentile together in righteousness and impute to us his righteousness and graciously extend to us eternal life as a gift from him in his holiness and in his righteousness. Then this message that first began with the Jewish people and that small group who believed in Jesus This message was then to explode to all the peoples of the world. Ultimately, this was and would be successful. And we see the evidence of that in Revelation chapter 5. And I want to read verses 8 through 10 of Revelation 5. Now when he, meaning Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So in Revelation 5, at the very ending of all things, when we stand before the Lord together in one place, 
as a group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we sing this song, we call it the song of the redeemed, that God has redeemed us out of every nation, every tongue, every people, and every tribe. Praise be to God. The gospel is for the entire world. It is for the Jews and the Gentiles. But there was a timing factor. It was a step-by-step process. And when Jesus came, he came knowing his mission was to the Jews first. He came primarily to the Jews first. And then through his death and through the blood that he would shed, the entire world would then be brought in. And he would then be able to save everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike. So in this encounter, the woman in Jesus here in Matthew The woman came with a need, her daughter's deliverance. This was a Gentile woman. She may or may not have had any knowledge of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath from history. We do not know. But she knew enough or had heard enough about Jesus to come to him and to seek him out. She shared her faith by calling out to him. She was crying out to him. She was desperate. And she was calling out and would not stop. And she called him Lord, accepting also even in her encounter back and forth with Jesus that she was not entitled to his blessing. Now, a lot of people get tripped up about the the bread versus the crumbs and the children versus the dogs. And they think that Jesus is giving a racial slur to her, discarding her, debasing her in some way. That is not at all what it was. But the children of the family were the ones that would get the bread the fresh-made bread, the biggest portion of the meal. And yet the little dogs, the pet dogs in the family, would be able to get crumbs. So that's what Jesus is saying. It's like she was a pet dog, so to speak. It, it, in, that, in that story that he's telling her, in that metaphor or a simile, whatever you want to call it, it's not a racial slur. She even recognized it and accepted what Jesus was saying. She wasn't offended. She wasn't offended. She didn't go out and go, well, my gosh, he called me a dog. No, she didn't have any offense at this. Rather, she knew that she was Gentile. She was not of Jewish blood. She was not necessarily entitled to any benefit or any blessing that she could come and demand because she was not a child of the Jewish people. She was not entitled to that per se. But she also knew enough about Jesus and was so desperate that she was crying out to him and appealing to him in mercy to answer her. She even recognized and accepted this and was not offended, but rather she was making a humble plea and a declaration of her faith. In other words, she was saying, even the crumbs, Lord, would be a blessing from you. I'll accept even crumbs. Help me. Help me. And so Jesus commends her for her faith. He meets her need like Elijah did with the widow of Zarephath. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 26, we read about the encounter where Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth to a synagogue. He was handed the scroll. He looked up the verse, Isaiah 61, and then he began to read that and he closed the book, talked about how he is the fulfillment of that. And then in verse 24 through 26, he says this, Then he said, meaning Jesus is going to speak now, again, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, 
Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. So even here, Jesus is commending her faith, just like the faith that drew God to use Elijah to minister to her need back in 1 Kings 17. Jesus primarily focused on the Jews of his day. Why was that? It was because they were the ones that were to receive the specific day of visitation from him. In Luke chapter 19, I want us to close out by looking at these passages or this, these verses. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 41 through 44. Now as he drew near, he, meaning Jesus we're talking about here, saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So there was a specific time, a kairos time, a specific appointed time by God to visit the Jewish people who he had given so many blessings to through the Old Testament, who he had called to be his own, who he had given much more to than any other nation or any other territory in all the earth. This was the day of their visitation, the day that they were to be inspected. He had entrusted much to them, and now it was time for proving. It was the oversight. It was the inspection time. What did you do with what I taught you? Did you repent? Did you receive my prophets? Did you listen to their words? This was the time of their testing. Would they receive the Messiah God sent, or would they reject him? The Old Testament scriptures and the prophets had warned, had instructed, had led, and all of these people, the Jewish people, especially would know what they had said because they had studied and they had rabbis and teachers that had studied into the Old Testament and the Torah. But now was the time of inspection. Would they believe? Would they obey? Had they obeyed? Would they receive the Messiah God promised? They failed miserably, and Jesus weeps over that. He weeps over that. He says, if you'd only known the day of your visitation, the day that God was specifically choosing to come to you and to minister to you, if you had only known that, if you had only known the things that God had in mind for your peace, but now it's taken from you because you did not know the day of your visitation. So now the Lord turned primarily to this church that he said in Matthew 16, verse 16 through 18, that he was building. We'll get to that shortly in the next chapter. He entrusted the kingdom of God and the message of the gospel to the church primarily. And the church now is comprised of Jewish and Gentile believers. As a matter of fact, the very earliest part of the church was all Jews. It was the disciples of the Lord that had remained the faithful disciples and those that were in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 of the upper room and so forth. And then it began to grow and spread from there. But God was going to move and give the gospel and the responsibility of the kingdom of God to the nation bearing its fruit. 
that Jesus had said. Even Moses had prophesied about this in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, where Moses even declared, for because of your disobedience, when you don't do what's right, then God's going to make you jealous through a nation that even isn't a nation, through a people that is not really a people. You see, the church is not a nation. It is a subset of many nations, but it is a subset of people, Jew and Gentile alike, who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again by the Spirit of God. Paul confirms this and draws from even Hosea. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, when he's talking about how God will use the church, God will use the people to provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy, to make them want to come to know Jesus Christ. And it will be by a people who were not God's people and a nation who was not a nation. The Jews are being brought back now, even even now in our day, as the Lord prophesied and promised in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Messianic Jewish movement is when God is grafting in his people again. Just like Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 16 through 27. You see, the church is, especially the Gentiles, we are grafted into the original tree. But with the Jewish people coming to know Messiah, they are grafted in again. And Paul speaks of that in the book of Romans in 11, chapter 11, verse 16 through 27. There has always been and always will be a remnant of believers even among the Jewish people. Salvation of the Jews ahead is to come. Hallelujah. And many are coming even today, and we rejoice with the Father that the Jews are coming home. But from there, Jesus will continue in his ministry, primarily to the Jews during his lifetime, bringing healing, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, as we just read in Matthew 15, as he encountered the Syrophoenician woman, met her need, and then began to move on. And he moved into the area more of the area of the Galilee and he began to heal more people and the lame walked and the blind saw and all of that fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy showing himself to be the Messiah promised with healing and love and mercy for all through this we see Jesus as the barrier breaker breaking down walls that separate Jews from Gentiles in the overall picture and plan of redemption we see the small glimpse of it here in Jesus' lifetime with this Syrophoenician woman and her child, following the pattern from long ago of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. How gracious our God is, who loved all the world and sent his Son to save all, any who will believe. He broke down the middle wall of partition as Paul described in Ephesians 2. He is the barrier breaker. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again as we continue in this series, Lord willing, in coming days. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.